think it's generally true. Anything worth being good at can usually be broken down into a progression of smaller skills. Right? Before you can say, I, I'm good at something, you have to have mastered a certain number uh, of, of skills that build in a progression toward that thing. Basketball is my go-to example because that's what I've spent a lot of my life doing, and it's very easy to see that this is true. You can go to a game and look at someone and say, that girl or that boy is good at basketball. But before they are, they have mastered or gotten proficient at a number of smaller skills. Go and watch a second-grade team play, and you'll start to see what's deficient. A second or third grader is just getting started, you throw the kid the ball, and they, they know this is important, right? So, but they don't have any skills. So either they just sort of run around with it to keep it away from other kids, or they start to look like, you ever see the documentary where the penguins protect the, their egg on the ice, and they just sort of duck over that thing? That's, that's what the kids do, the penguin and the egg thing, and just don't take my ball, don't take my ball. They're no good at basketball, but they've got one, and they know what's important. And then they begin, if they keep at it, to build some skills. They can Soon they don't have to think so much about the ball because they're used to having it in their hands. And they can learn if someone teaches them how to pivot. That's a skill. They can learn to look at what else I should do with this precious ball besides duck and cover. And then they start to dribble. And guess what happens? They go right back to penguin with the egg, only they're bouncing the egg. And their head goes down, and the only thing they can think about is, is that ball going to come back to my hand? And the safety arm goes out to keep all would-be attackers away from the ball. And they can't think about anything else until, guess what? They start to get good at that skill, and they can stop to think so much about the ball. And on and on and on. It's a progression of skills until somebody says, hey, that kid's pretty good at basketball. But you're not good at something if you haven't mastered some skills. I really don't care what it is. Um, if, if you'd, every, most of us would love to be able to play the piano like Stephanie, right? Or play the guitar like John. But nobody's good at those things until they master some skills that build. You have to know what black notes go with what white notes to make chords. You have to know where your fingers go on the guitar. And until you're proficient at those skills and you no longer have to think about, now where's my fingers supposed to go right now? You're not good until you master those fundamental skills. If you want to be good at cooking, it's going to take you forever to do a complex recipe until you get good at some fun, everything is like this in life. If it's worth being good at, there's a progression of skills that go into whatever it is. And being a disciple of Jesus Christ is no exception. There are fundamentals. There are, there's a progression of skills, of behaviors, that if we want to be good at following Jesus, we've got to sort of master, become good at, pay attention to. I'm not going to go into the, the full list of everything this morning. Like, we're not going to talk about why we 
read our Bibles, which we should, and why we're here to study, and why we pray, and why we gather together as believers. Those are fundamentals also. But here's where we are going today and why I talk about a list of fundamentals. We started to study through Matthew chapter 18 a couple of weeks ago. And it started with the disciples asking this question. They came to Jesus and they said, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus, who's great in the kingdom of heaven? And from that point on, here's one way we could think about Matthew chapter 18. It's like Jesus heard that question and thought, oh, guys, you want to be good at this? You want to be great at following me and thus great in the kingdom of heaven? Well, then there's some skills you guys need to get to work on. Because nobody's good at following me if they don't have certain things down. That's one way to think about Matthew chapter 18. It's a progression of skills. The first, first thing Jesus talks about is how you get in the game. In 18.3, he told the disciples, whatever you thought greatness was before you started following me, that's not how I measure greatness. Human greatness is how, how great am I compared to other people in things like wealth and power and beauty and talent. I don't measure greatness that way. He says, unless you become like little children, you're not even in the game. You're not, you're not following me at all. And we, a few couple of weeks ago, discussed that meant embracing this idea that just like how a little child is completely helpless to survive in this world, he needs things given to him by adults, by parents. Before God, we need eternal life given to us. We can't survive into the next world until we understand we're completely helpless before God and we must, by faith in Christ alone, be gifted eternal life. Now, once someone gets that far, once you have believed on Jesus for your eternal life, that does not mean I have reached the finish line of my life. That means you've just been given the ball. You, that just gets you in the gym. But if that's as far as we go, like we're not good at this. We're like the little kid that has the ball and has a hoop and has no idea what to do with it. And the disciples have asked, who is great in your kingdom? And Jesus says, well, remember, boys, measure greatness like anybody else. But if you want to be great at this, there's some things you need to be doing. And beginning last week, well, two weeks ago, I guess, Jesus started laying out like Christianity 101. Here is Jesus following 101, 102, and 103. Jesus, you want to be good, you've got your ball, you've got eternal life, you're in the gym, but you are not great at this. Here's how you start. This is like learning chords on the piano or scales or learning to dribble with your eyes up in basketball. He says, first, you welcome other Christians. Do life with other Christians. That's a skill for following Jesus. Then he said in verse 6, don't cause other people to stumble, to fall away, to sin. Don't be the one who trips up other people. Don't tempt other people. Don't make yourself feel better about your sin by getting other people included. Then the next skill in verses 8 and 9, Jesus said, identify what 
makes you more likely to stumble, to sin, to fall away, to fall off that path of righteousness, the path which leads to life. Identify those things that trip you up and take drastic measures to amputate those things from your life. That's like following Jesus 101, 102, and 103. Those are three fundamental skills. And we are not good at this if we are not good at those three things. I'm not saying you don't have eternal life. You've been given the ball. But if I am not doing those three skills, I'm not good at this. Because Jesus is answering this question through the whole chapter, what is greatness in the kingdom? And that's where it starts. Now, today and next week, Jesus is going to go to following Jesus 201 and 202. Advanced level Jesus following today. And everything else in Matthew 18, after he's told us what we should be doing or should not be doing, now Jesus shifts gears and he's going to start to talk to us about how we treat someone else who has messed up on 1, 2, and 3. What do you do when you notice somebody who has stumbled, who has wandered off the path, who has fallen into sin. Because there are ways that we are to treat stumbling Christians that Jesus considers great. And there are ways that we treat stumbling Christians that Jesus considers not great. Do you want to be good at this? How you treat other Christians who have stumbled, who have sinned, is a fundamental part of being good at following Jesus. That's where we're going today. Uh, God wants, God wills, God works to go find stumbling Christians. Today, he's going to tell the parable of the lost sheep. God wants those lost sheep brought back into the fold. And he uses other Christians to go after them. And Jesus thinks that's great when people do that. Let's read our text for this morning. It's Matthew chapter 18, verses 10 through 14. This is the New American Standard Bible on the screen. I'll mention just before I read, if you look up here at the screen, verse 11, see those brackets right there on verse 11? Some of your Bibles, you'll notice, don't have a verse 11. They skip from verse 10 to verse 12. Here's why. That's not original with Matthew. got added later to make Matthew agree with Luke. I promise you Jesus said that because Luke records it. Nobody's trying to hide it from you because if you turn in, if your Bible doesn't have it here, if you turn to, to the passage in Luke, it will be there. Um, I'm kind of going to skip it, but that is the theme of this passage. For the Son of Man has come to save that which is lost. That sheep that's lost, the whole reason Jesus came is to take lost things and make them found. That's why we're supposed to be about this. But Let's read this passage. Matthew 18, beginning in verse 10. See to it that you do not despise one of these little ones. Which little ones? 
Somebody who failed at what Jesus just told us about. Somebody who stumbled. Somebody who sinned. Somebody who's off the path which leads to life. See to it that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that their angels in heaven continually see the face of my Father who is in heaven. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. Verse 12. What do you think, guys? If any man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go and search for the one that is straying? If it turns out that he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than he rejoices over the 99 which have not gone astray. So it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones perish. Okay, the first thing Jesus says to us about how to treat um, other Christians, other believers in him who have stumbled is, it, is an attitude command. And he says this, see, see to it that you do not, this translation says, disdain one of these little ones. The Greek word here, it gets translated disdain here. Uh, Kataphraneo is the Greek word, and it can mean to disdain, to hate. It really means to look down upon, to look at with scorn. Jesus says, don't look at scorn with some Christian who has stumbled. I just told you what stumbling looks like and why we do it. Don't get caught up looking down on stumbling Christians. You know why Jesus warned us about that? A, because he doesn't like it. And B, because he knew this would be a problem for us. It is really easy to have an attitude exactly like Jesus warned us to not have. Why? Why is it easy for you and me as Christians to see someone who has stumbled, especially if they have stumbled in a way you and I don't stumble, or that you don't stumble? Why is it so easy to look at somebody like that with scorn, with disdain? Because like I always say, it feels better to feel what? It feels better to feel better. It feels better to feel better. It feels good. It can feel good if we're not careful. But I see, you know, Jeff, and Jeff has really messed something up. And it's easy to kind of go, oh, look at that Jeff. How could he? I would never do something like that. It, it feels, it's easy to, to, fall, to fall into a pattern where we're really forgetting our childlikeness forgetting our complete helplessness before God. I have this picture of a, of a sheep looking down at another sheep that in the hole the sheep has apparently fallen into on the screen. This is, we, it's easy that I can look down in that hole and see a Jeff has fallen clear down there and I feel like I'm above him. And what I forget, when I'm forgetting my childlikeness, my complete helplessness before God, what I forget is Jeff may be in a hole down here and I may be a little bit above him, but both of us are in a huge bottomless chasm of our own unrighteousness. It's easy for me to look in this example at sinful Jeff and think I am a superior to him in some measurable way before God when both of us are so far, so far short of any measurable level of righteousness that it just doesn't do any good 
for me to compare and contrast. And we're, we're, when we're doing that, we're beginning to, to hold to a kind of righteousness that just comes from me comparing my paltry righteousness to somebody else's paltry righteousness and feeling good about myself based on, on that comparison. And Jesus says, boys, do you want to be good at this? You asked me who is great. If you want to be good at this, stop feeling better when somebody else does bad. Don't disdain one of my little ones. And in the second half of the verse, he gives us a really interesting reason why we're not to do this. Oops, I overclicked. There we go. See to it that you do not disdain one of my little ones. Why not? Second half of verse 10. Because, or for, Jesus says, because I tell you, their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. Why should you, why should I not disdain another Christian who has wandered off the path? Jesus says, well, because think of the angels in heaven. That probably needs some explanation, don't you think? That's what I'm here for. Do you know that angels are concerned with what happens with Christians on earth? They are. Uh, the author of Hebrews, Hebrews 11.4, tells us that angels are ministering spirits sent out to serve those who inherit salvation. Who, are, who inherits salvation? Only humans, people, us. Angels don't get saved from anything because they haven't sinned any sins. The only angels that sin are demons and they're lost forever. No chance at redemption. Fallen angels. And the author of Hebrews says angels... Some minister to us in ways that I don't know how, I don't know when, but they do. And here's what angels like to check out. Here's what they're interested in when it comes to me and you. First Peter. Peter tells us first in, in First Peter where he's talking about the gospel in regard to the things announced to you, the gospel through those who proclaim the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. About the gospel, Peter says this. This is the part I want you to notice today. Things angels long to catch a glimpse of or things angels long to look at. Here's what Peter's saying. Angels in heaven, here's their experience. They were created in eternity past. They were all good angels. Sometimes, for some reason, some of them sin. And God, because he's holy and perfect and righteous, took the angels who sin and he cast them out of heaven and there's no second chance and you're never going to be redeemed and you can't be forgiven and you are, you're going to the lake of fire forever, fallen angels. That's, and, and the good angels know that's perfectly right and fair. And then God makes people. And people sin. And the angels know what should be right and fair is that every single person who sins, which is all of us, should get the same fate as the demons. Lake of fire forever and ever and ever. But God made a way where through the gospel, sinful people like us, who should have no relation to God, get restored into a relationship 
with the God of the universe. And the scriptures tell us that there's celebrations in heaven every time a sinner repents. And angels love to look at this because they see somebody who is unrighteous and wicked and godless like me become white as snow and look like Jesus in spite of my sin. And it blows the angels' minds because they know how holy God is and how sinful we are. And it's the miracle of miracles that we get reconciled. They love to look at repentance and restoration of sinful people to a holy God. That being said, let's go back to our verse, verse 10. Don't look down on a stumbling Christian. Why? Jesus said, think of what their angels are doing and be like them. Their angels, angels concerned with people are always in front of God the Father. So do you think, is this how this happens? Who can I use this time? Travis will be the center this time because Jeff sinned enough for one Sunday. Okay? So Travis sins. Do angels go in before the Father and say, uh, Lord, have you noticed Travis? Did you see what he did? you see what he's stuck in? You ever notice how much better I am than Travis God? I mean, seriously. Seriously, God, have you, have you noticed? Is that what angels, is that what they long to look at? No. They run, they, it goes more like this. They run to God the Father and say, Lord, I know you love Travis, and I know you see what's going on. How, will you do that thing you do? You know that thing where you take somebody who's stuck in something like that and you restore them into a perfect relationship with you and you make them look like the Lord Jesus? Can you do that thing again, Lord? We just love it when you do that. Jesus says, when you see someone stuck in sin, be like that. There's angels in heaven who have never sinned a single sin. And they celebrate when a sinner gets restored to Jesus. How dare we use someone else's sin as an excuse to feel superior about ourselves. That's Matthew 18, verse 10. In verse 12, Jesus starts the very famous parable of the lost sheep. He's going to tell a story about why we should go after stumbling Christians. He says, okay, imagine guys, what do you think? There's a guy with a hundred sheep and he's got all these sheep together and all of a sudden this one sheep looks up and he notices some grass over there that looks delicious and nutritious. And I know we're not in that area, but it's not that far. So the sheep wanders away from the flock. And then before long, he notices something back there that looks pretty good. And he wanders that way. And then he maybe sees some water over the hill and he goes over. And, and all not so suddenly, the sheep is lost. Jesus says, disciples, how does the shepherd respond? Does he say, have fun out there. I hope you get eaten by coyotes. That's what you deserve. Right? Good luck, if a, good luck if a wolf shows up, you mutton-brained wool holder. Is that what he says? No. Well, how does a good shepherd treat a lost sheep? 
he leaves the 99 in the relative safety of the group, and he goes looking for the one that's lost. Now, Jesus is the good shepherd. The parable, parable's a made-up story to prove a real point. It only, it only goes so far, because in reality, the Lord wants to use sheep to go after sheep. When the shepherd goes after sheep, he sends sheep. And I do want to spend most of the rest of our time going through this parable, but I want to give you a couple of sort of words of uh, warning or caution about wayward Christians here. Uh, first, I want you to know that a, a wayward sheep hurts the whole flock. Um, because whether the shepherd goes or other sheep go, a wayward sheep puts other sheep in danger. Resources get taken from the whole flock to go after the wayward sheep. We do not want to be the wayward sheep. How do I know? Jesus, that was the last two weeks' sermons. Do life with other Christians. Don't cause others to stumble. Don't be the, if you have something that's going to make you wander off, Cut that out of your life because you don't want to be the lost sheep. It's not a good thing to be the lost sheep. And second, I want you to notice that in the story, the purpose of the rescue mission, going after the lost sheep, the purpose is to get the lost sheep and bring the lost sheep back to the flock. It is not to go make the lost sheep feel okay about where it's at. Get where I'm headed there? Because it's really easy. It's really easy to convince ourselves we're, we're going after lost sheep when we're actually just wandering. We're walking the same path they are and pretending we're on a rescue mission. This is a rescue mission to bring a lost sheep back to where the real joy and safety are. All right, what's in this parable? Obviously, it's Jesus telling us he wants us to go after lost sheep. Verse 13, all of us in our Bibles, either our first or second word of the verse is the word if. Okay, so this, this shepherd has a lost sheep. He goes out looking for it. And then right here, Jesus says, if... He finds that, what's that word, if, let us know about these search and rescue missions for lost sheep? Are they all successful? Are all sheep found? Will they all return once they're found? No. No, if he finds it and some aren't. Not this is, this is the heartbreaking part. Not all wayward sheep get found. Not all want to return when they are found. What do you do if you go looking for a wayward sheep and they refuse to, to return and come back? What do you do? Come back next week, Jesus is going to tell us. For this week, he just wants to make sure that that in our heart, that our heart for lost sheep is that they don't not get found and they don't not return because nobody went to look. Because he thinks it's great 
when we go look. And he says, if a lost sheep is found, and here's the goal, if a lost sheep is found, I tell you the truth, he will rejoice. He will rejoice more over that one lost sheep that returns than he rejoices over the 99 who didn't leave to begin with. Here's the goal of going after lost sheep. Rejoicing over repentance. There's the goal. We want to rejoice over repentance. When we don't look down on someone that they got lost, that they they wandered away, when we don't look down on them, we don't look at them with an air of superiority. We, We have a heart for them. We do go after them. And when they express a desire to come back toward the Lord and walk with the Lord. Rejoicing is what should follow. When we do have an air of superiority, that's when we don't want to rejoice. See, if I rejoice with their restoration, I put them on an equal, that, yay, I'm rejoicing that you're right back on the same level as me. And sometimes I don't want them on the same level as me. Because it feels better to feel better. When we don't rejoice over repentance, we're like the older brother in Jesus' famous parable of the prodigal son. The prodigal son lit, you know, went and lived like an idiot, and he came home, and dad was really happy, and the older brother said, I'm not coming to his party. I'm not celebrating he came back because he was still looking for recognition for how great he had been all this time. Jesus is, we, we're not, the goal is to go after someone we care about with an aim of rejoicing with their repentance and restoration. That's the goal. Now, is it hard or easy? Is it hard or easy to go after someone that has stumbled, that has fallen into sin? Hard or easy, what do you think? hard. I mean, it's hard. You know what? Somebody will feel like you're saying, hey, I've been noticing how terrible of a sinner you are, and I'd like to talk with you about that. Right? Those aren't going to go well all the time. So, because this is hard, Jesus gives us the confidence we need to do this. It's in the last verse of our passage today. The parable's over. 99 Sheep stay, one's gone, shepherd goes after him, he rejoices when he finds him and brings him back. Parable's over and Jesus says this, in the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that one of these little ones be lost. Here's the confidence. When we do this, we're doing what God wants done. How many of you have ever wanted to know what God's will was for your life? Right In your brain's most of your hands should go up, right? Over seven and a half years here, I've had lots of conversations. Somebody comes in and they just they want to know, Pastor, help me figure out the Lord's will here. Usually, here's what we want to know, and I've done that too. Here's what we want to know. We want to know, what job should I take? We want to know, what in, should I make this investment or not because it's risky? Uh, What should I do professionally? What house should I buy? Where should I go to college? 
Where should I go to seminary? Um, lots of these things. And here's what we want to know. When I say, I want to know what is God's will for this, what I really want to know is, God, would you tell me which way will be more successful from an earthly perspective? Because that's what I really want to know. And God has never yet sent the email when we've prayed about that. I keep trying. I keep trying and asking. You know why? Because we can be right dead center in God's will wherever we go to college, whatever job we do, whatever house we buy, whether that business fit, venture succeeds or fails, because God's will is something like this. Look, it's right there. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that each one of these little ones be lost. You want to be right in the middle of God's will? Go get his stumbling sheep. That's when you're in God's will. We don't tell whether we're in God's will by whether or not we're making lots of money in business right now. That might be our biggest temptation. The, the disciples have asked, who's the greatest? Jesus says, do this. Do this. That's who I think is great. You want to be involved in doing what you know God once done? Go after struggling sheep. Do you want to be involved in doing what angels want to see done on earth? Go after stumbling sheep. Not with an air of superiority and condescension. And I know it's hard and it makes you nervous. And what it makes you really want to do is come ask the pastor to do it. Because he'll listen to you. And I want to help you. But listen, this can work. If we would be good at this as a church, before we tell 17 other people about what I've seen, right? before somebody gets so far away, I've got to do something before they burn their entire life down. If we would get good at going and sitting down with somebody with just a spirit and a heart that says, I love you. And here's what I'm seeing. I love you enough to tell you something uncomfortable right now. And if we would do that in a way where they know we are after their joy and their good, I think we would see more of these things go from a search and rescue mission to rejoicing over repentance than we imagine. If we were good at this. Do you want to be great at following Jesus? So far, here's what we learned. Here's the fundamentals. Do life with other Christians. Don't cause other Christians to stumble. Find out what makes you more likely to stumble and amputate that from your life. And then when you see others who have stumbled, don't break your arm patting yourself on the back for how you didn't stumble like that. Go get your brother or your sister because you want them to be great at this too and walk with them through their repentance and rejoice like mad.
when it happens. You'll be doing it in unison with the angels in heaven. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, every single one of us in here has been the lost sheep, the stumbling, sinning Christian. Lord, thank you for reminding us that you want us found when it's us. You want us restored when we're the ones who have wandered and stumbled. And God, thank you for the challenge. Saying if we want to be good at following you, we've got to be sheep rescuers. We've got to be stumbling, sinning Christian rescuers. That's hard work, Lord. But we know it's your will because you just told us. God, bring us back next week and you'll teach us some tech, a technique and like how sort of the nuts and bolts of how to do that, but not without this heart that we're after the heart of a brother or sister that we know that has stepped away from where real joy is. God, when I'm the one who has stumbled, give someone else, someone else in here right now the guts and the grace to come after me and give us all the guts and the grace to go after one another when it's not us. With the confidence of knowing we're in the center of your will when we do it. We love you, Lord. Thank you for coming to seek and to save that which was lost, which is me and everyone else here. We love you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. We just sang a line in there. It said, wonderful grace of Jesus reaching the most defiled. Maybe you're the sheep this morning that has wandered off. I don't care if you're the most defiled sheep that's ever defiled himself or herself. You are not beyond the wonderful, matchless grace of Jesus. Amen? And that person you were thinking about when I was talking about going after the lost sheep, they ain't past the wonderful grace of Jesus either. And he just might be sending you on a rescue mission. Good luck out there. Come back next week. I'll tell you how. Have a great week. Love you guys.